0: If have your Bibles this morning, we'll be in 1 Peter, chapter 1. It's going to be toward the the back end of your Bible, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, the Johns, Jude, and Revelation. So if you hit Revelation or the maps, you've gone too far, but if you're in Hebrews, keep going. 1 Peter, chapter 1, continuing our series, going through the book of 1 Peter uh, with verses 10 through 12 this morning. 1 Peter, chapter 1, starting in verse 10, says this. Uh, my favorite movie may be uh, Avengers Infinity War. It came out in theaters on April 27, 2018, and I think I saw it in theaters three times whenever it came out. Uh, I grew up a huge comic book fan. My father used to read comic books to me as my bedtime stories. So I'd been anticipating these kind of movies my whole life, and then once they started coming out, this kind of movie, explicitly, I was thinking and anticipating this movie uh, in particular. And like so few things in life, it met my expectations. It exceeded my expectations, even as crazy high as they were going in. But this movie was the the culmination of a story that had started a whole 10 years earlier. This was the 19th movie in that story, that they had all been connected, all had been building up to this. And I had been at the opening night release of all 18 movies up to that 19th, and this was it for me. This was the moment. Everything had been building up to this moment, this movie, which was going to bring everything together and give me the the fullness of this experience that I had always been looking forward to. Everything else was really just background leading up to this time and this movie. And that's crazy. That's wild. That's wild. I mean, think of all the jobs, think of all the, the money, all the planning that went into that whole series to get to this point, those glorious 169 minutes, which were everything I had ever dreamed they might be. Today, our text actually conveys, I think, a fairly similar idea regarding our salvation and the Bible, which reveals it to us. The salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, what it's talking about starting in verse 10, concerning, concerning this salvation referring back to verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Regarding this salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, that's what everything in the Bible was pointing toward. Everything in the biblical story had been leading up to this moment, the sacrifice of Christ and his resurrection. That's the climax of the biblical story. It's really the climax of all creation. Now we're just living in the payoff. We're living in the, the glorious denouement after that. So in today's verses, we're going to focus on that buildup, and we're going to see three forerunners of our salvation from these verses in this text. The first forerunner of our salvation in today's verses is that our salvation was searched by the prophets. Look at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. When Peter's referring to the prophets here, he's talking about the former saints in his time, the, the people of Israel in the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, Elijah, David, Isaiah, all of those people who spoke of the coming salvation, all of the people who believed in it, even though they weren't able to yet see it, even though they were looking forward to it. And these people that he's talking about, they searched and inquired carefully regarding that salvation. They had to do that because they didn't see it yet. It wasn't apparent what this salvation was going to be, what it looked like. It wasn't obvious. It wasn't yet accomplished for them in this time, where they could point to it clearly revealed and say, there, there it is. That's what I've been looking for. That's what I'm talking about. That's Jesus' sacrificed for my sins. But these people searched and inquired carefully regarding it, because even though they couldn't, even though they knew it was coming, they couldn't see it yet. And I think that's obvious here. That's explicitly what the verses say. But let me point out that what these guys had, what they were searching inquiring carefully into, was the Old Testament. It was the Old Testament law. Some of them even wrote these same things that they're now searching and inquiring into. So they had some revelation of God. They had some understanding of what he demands of his people but they still had to search and inquire carefully concerning the salvation that we now get to see clearly, that we now have experienced clearly. So as important as the Old Testament is, and if you've been here for very long, you know that I always emphasize how important it is that we still hold to the Old Testament, that we keep to it, that we understand it rightly, that we see it as pointing to Jesus, as containing the same gospel that we believe in. The Old Testament is absolutely essential for us, but as important as it is, It's not the fullness of our faith. It's not the fullness of the revelation that we've been given. We aren't Old Testament Christians. Those are not really in existence. Those would be called Jews. We are New Covenant Christians, New Testament Christians. Our God, the God we worship, is the same God from one testament to the other. And those saints that were inquiring into these texts, they're saved by the same grace, the same faith that we are saved by through the same sacrifice of Christ for their sins that we are. But they didn't see it. They didn't get to experience it quite like we do. And that fullness, the the deeper meaning and understanding of the gospel, which exists in the Old Testament, even if you might have to dig a little bit to find it, it's worth digging for. I mean, these guys wrote the book, and then they kept going back reading it and trying to figure out the, the fullness of what it meant. They had to keep reading their own words that they had written to try to get to the bottom of it. They didn't settle for what they already had. They pressed forward. They pressed in, trying to see the salvation of God more clearly in these works, in these writings. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the heart of Christian Scripture. It's in the whole book from beginning to end. And it's worth finding there. It's worth searching for there. It's worth reading about. It's worth hearing a sermon about every single week. You may wish as you sit there that I would preach more specifically on what's going on in your life. That I would tell you how to vote. That I would tell you whether you should homeschool your kids or not. That I should tell you how your budget should look like. And some of those things I'm sure I might hit on at some point. But I'm never going to throw the gospel, the text, aside to get there. I hope to never give you the impression that we're done talking about the cross, we're done talking about salvation, we're done talking about the gospel, so that now we can get to the real stuff, the good stuff, the real meat, what you actually need to hear. No, I don't think that's true at all. What you really need to hear is the salvation that these guys were searching this book for. The real meat isn't in something else. The real meat isn't in me trying to look at numbers and trying to, to guess the date and time of different events that may occur in the future. That's not the real meat. The real meat is seeing the salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ in every aspect of your life, seeing how it impacts everything that you are, everything that you do, seeing how its depth can never be reached, that his love, mercy, and grace toward you is never going to run out. I think that's the meat. And that is the meat, that salvation is what was searched by the prophets. And then in verse 11, we see that that salvation is also predicted by the Spirit. That's the second forerunner of our salvation in today's verses. It was predicted by the Spirit. Look at verse 11. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So now we get to the reason why these guys had to search through their own books, their own writings, their own letters to try to figure this stuff out. Well, it's because what they wrote was written by the Spirit of Christ in them. Which I think the more you think about it, the cooler that idea gets. I mean, did Moses write Genesis? Yes, absolutely. But you know who also wrote Genesis? The Spirit of Christ. You know who wrote all of those psalms? Usually David, yes. But you know who also wrote them? God's Spirit. Our book, our Bible, from beginning to end, is written by God. He is the one divine author of every word on every page, even as human authors were the medium through which he used to write his words. So that means there's not a wasted word in this book. There is not an accidental error here. There's not anything we need to look at and read and go, oof, I wish that wasn't in there. There's not anything we have to be embarrassed by in here. This verse is telling us that God wrote this book to predict our coming salvation, to predict his work in and through us, to tell us about what that was, about what was going to happen. And the fact that it calls the spirit who wrote this book, the spirit of Christ here, reminds us of what we already know about Jesus about Christ and the Trinity, that Jesus was around before he was born. He didn't come into existence on Christmas Day, 0 AD. He is the eternal Son of God who has always existed with the Father and the Spirit. So we can in good conscience say that the Spirit of Christ wrote the Old Testament, even as in most places, Scripture's going to say that the Holy Spirit is the one who inspires Scripture, who writes the Word, because that's all true. Our God, who is spirit, is one God, one essence, in three persons. So the spirit that is God is the Father's spirit, the Son's spirit, and the Holy Spirit's spirit. Christ is writing through the prophets to tell of his own coming, to tell of his own salvation that he was going to accomplish, because God is writing through the prophets to tell of those things. And now these same prophets... They're reading very closely what they wrote. They're inquiring what person or time that spirit within them was indicating. What that means is they were actively looking for the Messiah. They were actively hoping and expecting that he would come. They kept looking in the writings in their own time and place. And they were trying to figure out, are those writings talking about today? Is today the day that it's talking about? They kept listening for the words, evaluating, evaluating the people that are saying them to see, if is this the guy? Is this the Messiah? Is he the one that those things are talking about? And is today the day in which we see those things? They were desperately hoping for the Messiah to come, and their whole selves, their whole lives were on edge, hopefully expectant for the day when they could see what they hadn't yet seen. When I was growing up, Uh, My dad would take us to a St. Louis Cardinals baseball game every year. We lived in northeast Arkansas at the time. It wasn't that far of a drive to go to St. Louis. We did it every year. We would pick out the dates early in like January, find a cheap weekday game in the day, go get tickets, and go. We looked forward to it the whole time. We planned the trip in advance, got up early to drive there so that we could see the game and then drive back home all on the same day. I would save up my money so I could get a souvenir at that game. But there was one item that I absolutely always made sure I had with me when we got in the car to go to that game. My baseball glove. I'd carry it into the stadium with me. I'd have it on my hand every second once the game started. I wanted a foul ball more than anything that I had ever thought of before. It didn't matter where our seats were. As high up as we could possibly be and still be able to tell that those were people down there on the field, I would still think a foul ball could get here. It might be able to get here. It didn't matter whether the guy at the play was a righty or a lefty, whether I was in the middle of a conversation or not, whether I was trying to learn how to, to take the game down and to keep the whole thing down on my sheet of paper or not. I had my glove on my hand, and every time I heard the crack of the bat, I would stop what I was doing and stare and try to find the ball, because I thought, this is the time. That was the pitch. That's the swing that's going to let me get this ball, and it never happened. <laughs> however many years, however many games, never once got one, didn't even really come very close, and as I look back on it now, it's like, yeah, you're not getting a foul ball on those seats, but man, I was w- waiting with bated breath every single time for this to happen. And I think what this verse is communicating is that these guys, these Old Testament prophets who were the ones who wrote all these things down, I think they were probably carrying around their scrolls in the same way that I was carrying around my glove. That they're, they're walking around and they're reading it and they're thinking like, wait, is that talking about this? Is today the day? Has the Messiah been born yet? What about that ruler? Is he the one who's going to restore the line of Israel? They were looking into everything, hoping, waiting, dying to be able to see what they had already predicted was going to happen. With every passing day, they thought this might be their chance. But again, I think we need to notice what they're looking and hoping for. We need to notice what it is that they're examining in those texts. The sufferings of Christ... And the subsequent glories. The Spirit predicted these things in their writings, so now they're looking around, hoping to see them, because they see that Christ's suffering, which leads to glory, is what results in their salvation. And if we remember that first Peter is written to people who are enduring persecution already and are going to be having even more persecution, it helps remind them that, hey, this has always been God's plan. He is always designed to save you through the suffering which leads to glory. So now, whenever you experience the suffering which leads to glory, you can identify that that is the same suffering and glory that Christ has already fulfilled in you and on your behalf. So you're just following in His footsteps. You're just taking up your cross along with Him. The salvation is what they're looking for. And they know that when they find the Christ who is suffering before glory, that's when they'll have found it. They weren't listening for the crack of the bat. They were listening for a Christ who would suffer before being raised again to glory. And in their searching, they find that they're searching actually not for themselves. They're not actually writing all these things for themselves. They're writing these things for us. For the audience of 1 Peter, which I have argued is really wide, is Christians is who he's writing to. That's the third and final forerunner of our salvation. It has been announced to you. It was predicted by the prophets. It was inspired by the Spirit, and now it's been announced to you. Look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This verse, honestly, is the biggest reason why I thought it would be best to take these verses by themselves, these three, as opposed to a wider section of Scripture. Why I wanted to devote a whole sermon talking about these three verses. Because these prophets from the Old Testament who wrote what they wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, and then looked through all those writings to figure out what they meant and to whom they pointed, who they were talking about. They did all those things, really, according to these verses, for you, for Christians. They weren't serving themselves in this, they were serving you. Their writings, their words, their message, given to them by the Spirit, is given not only for them, but for you. Now, I want to qualify basically everything I'm about to say, because I think there's an unhelpful way to understand what I'm meaning by this, and an unhelpful way to understand what this verse is saying. Because you can hear me say that the Bible is for you, and you can come away from that thinking that you are actually the point of the Bible. You can hear me say that it's all given for you and think that means I'm the main character. You can hear me say everything that I'm going to say and think that all the stories are actually just metaphors about you and your life. And we've surely heard all these things before, right? I think David and Goliath, what are the Goliaths in your life? What are the five stones that God's given you to slay your giants with? Goliath's got your sword. You got to go get it. You can't use somebody else's armor. You got to be who God made you to be. I promise we've all heard those ideas. We've all heard people say very similar things to everything I just did. But I think in every one of those, that's actually making you the point of the story. It's saying that you're David and that God is really just the means. He's just the method that you're going to use to get what you want, a dead Goliath a debt-free life, a happy marriage, whatever that might be. And I think that's not true. That's not helpful. It's not what I mean when I say that the Bible is written for you. You are not David. You're not the main character. You're not the point. You're not the one that all this is written about. But the Bible absolutely is written for you. The people who wrote it, they didn't write it for themselves, they wrote it for you. For God's people in every age, in every circumstance, in every place. Just because you're not David doesn't mean that God isn't more powerful than anything you might come up against. Just because it's not about you doesn't mean that God hasn't killed the greatest giant you will ever face, your own sin and the death and judgment that comes with that. It doesn't mean that God can't give you the glory which he has already won in Christ which you could not get on your own. You see, it is for you, but it's not about you. Which when we think about it, that's way better news, right? I mean, if it's about me, then it is all on me. And if it's about me, how can it also be about you? If it's about me, why did God riot, you know, 1,992 years before I showed up? But if it's about him then it can still be for me, really in the best way possible. If it's about him, then I can know that he is enough for whatever I might need. Because he doesn't change. Because he's been around this whole time. Because he's done all these things for all of his people in every instance of Scripture. I know that I, who am now part of his people, have access to that same God in that same way. To see that he is the point. If it's about Him, then I don't have to make my life and everything in it about me. I don't have to live under the weight of me being the point and the main character of everything. I get to see where I fit into His story. Seeing Him as the center of every verse, seeing Him as the center of every story, that's how I think we start to understand what He has to show us. That's how we're able to see this salvation that the prophets were writing about, that they were looking into. If you ask me, how should we read the Bible? How should we understand what it says for us? I'm going to tell you that the driving force in how I understand every verse that I read in the Bible is what it says in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. It says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You say, we're not actually reading and understanding this book, not understanding what we've read until we get to this point. Have we read that which was written in such a way that we now believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that we are now having life in his name. Other things could have been written in this book with other purposes, with other means. But these things, which God inspired through his prophets to give to his people to tell us who he is and what he's done, these things were written to bring us to life through Christ and his gospel. I think when we read the text with that in mind, that's how we know that we've actually understood what we've read. That's when we're able to take hold of all that there is for us in this book. When we've seen him at the center, when we know he is the point, and when we've believed what we've read and are moving forward in the new life which comes to us through his gospel, which we've seen revealed in this book. That's how we understand You see, these words, this book, it is for you, even though it's not about you. So now, just like the prophets who wrote it, we should now search and inquire into it in the same way. Our salvation has been announced to us. So I think we should be studying this announcement. They were searching and inquiring carefully into it, and now it's been announced to us, so we should also search and inquire carefully into what has been announced. We should be continually diving into what he's told us, continually looking at what he's revealed to us. Okay, I get that my announcements most Sunday mornings are probably pretty hard to listen to. Of all the things that we do when we gather together, that two to three minutes surely is the worst in your mind, in every single one of you. You're sitting there thinking, like, man, isn't this in the bulletin? Man, isn't that on the slides? Man, Couldn't he jazz this up a little bit? Put it to music or something? This is hard to listen to. And I get that. But I think there's actually something helpful there. Uh, If I were somehow able to make them the best two to three minutes of the entire time that we are together, I think that would be a problem. I think that would be a bad thing. If we were to peek at the announcements and then everything was all downhill from there, that's a long hour. That's a long time to sit and just wait for it to be done because the greatest thing you're going to hear has already been told to you. But let's say, just for the sake of argument, that one week I showed up with a very special kind of announcement. Let's say, just for instance, that I had clear and obvious instructions from God himself on how to give you the fullest satisfaction, the greatest desire of your heart, and I just announced it. I just said, this is what it is. This is God's plan for you to fulfill every purpose that you have ever thought about in your life. I think that you might carefully listen to the words of that announcement. That you might make sure that you understood what God was saying. You might even write them down so that you could search and inquire into them later. Because you don't want to miss out on receiving the fullness of all that you've ever wanted, of all that you were really created for. Well, guess what? This has been announced to you. Hopefully, it's announced to you every week. Hopefully, my preaching reflects that. But it's definitely been given to you in this book. In God's word, he has announced to you exactly how to meet every desire that you possibly have. Now, that doesn't mean that this is some blank check that's gonna give you the things you currently want. It means that when you receive him, when you understand him, your desires are going to change in such a way that you see him as the fullness, as the satisfaction of everything you've ever desired. I hope that I can announce that to you every week, but even if I'm not very good at that, This book has done it better than I can. This book has shown you more than I can show you. And this has just been handed to you. It's just been announced to you, written down. All you have to do now is to listen to it and respond. And maybe you can't read. Maybe you have trouble understanding what you read when you read it. And for those of you who that's the case, God in this text has even gone a step further Further in his announcement toward you, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. He's given you people to preach this good news, to give you this announcement to you, for you. He's given this church John Greer and Will Overstreet. And Lord willing, Nathan Miller, to announce the good news to you through the announcement of God that he's given you in his written word. But notice here that when things are operating correctly, when I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, you're not hearing me make an announcement of this good news. You're simply hearing God's announcement through me. When I'm doing my job if I study well, if I write well, if I pray well, if I am formed by this word well, when I'm doing, what I'm supposed to be doing, then what I preach is so identical to what God has said in this book that they're not even my words anymore. They're His. It's not even really my message anymore. It's His. And the way that you know whether that's happening or not isn't just because I said it and said, yep, that's what God said. No, it's by you hearing those words and testing it against his announcement. The way that you know whether I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing regarding this preaching, this announcement of his good news to you is by testing what I say against the actual text of the announcement. That's why I hope to, why I plan to, why I try to preach so closely to the text every week. That's why we preach through books of the Bible here at Pleasant Grove. That's why we're going to be in 1 Peter until it gets to Christmas. Because that's the announcement. I'm just trying to help you understand what he has announced. That's why we go through the whole book, the whole passage, when we do those things. I don't parachute in, pick a few verses I like, and then go somewhere else. You need to be able to see if what I'm saying is what God has said or not. And I know we've all heard sermons where that hasn't happened. Where somebody stood up, they talked for 20 minutes, said stuff. Then they read a verse, talked for another five minutes, said some more stuff. And then they prayed and they were done. They may have said good things. You may have been helped by what they said. They don't have to say anything wrong or bad in order for this to not be the best. But we should also acknowledge that they weren't preaching the Bible They weren't preaching God's good news written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and have life in his name. I don't have that message on my own. I don't have those words. I don't have those things written down outside of this book. So that's why whenever we meet together, whenever I preach to you, I'm gonna try my best to give you this book because I can come up with some other stuff, but it's just not this. It's not written that you may believe that he's the Christ and have life in his name. I don't want to be up here just talking. I hope you never hear one of my sermons and go home and all you can say is like, well, he talked for 35 minutes or so. But man, I have no clue what he was talking about. I have no idea what he said. I don't know what text we were in. I don't know what his point was. He told a few stories, may have said something kind of funny about his daughter, sang a few lines of a song off-key for a little bit, and then prayed and we were done. I hope that that's never what you hear, that that's never what happens, that even if you're listening to me going like, man, this could be better, that you can at least go home and say, no, I, I see what First Peter says now. I know what God has announced through First Peter to me, to his church. I hope that each and every week I can be used by God to announce his good news to you by speaking that announcement to you and by explaining that announcement to you. And if I'm doing my job in this, then I think the same spirit who wrote the book is the same spirit who works through this book. Through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You see, the author, the one who wrote it, is the one who also speaks into your heart and makes it clear to you. He plants the seed of his word deep down into your heart, and it takes root in a way that can only come from God, that can only come from heaven. I remember there was a praise song from the early 2000s that I heard a lot growing up. And I don't mind the song. This isn't anti-the song. I don't have a problem with it. But it just says over and over, open the floodgates of heaven, let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven, let it rain, let it rain, let it rain. That's that's all they say over and over. Open the floodgates of heaven, let it rain, let it rain, let it rain. And Michael W. Smith is singing. He is pleading out that God would open the floodgates of heaven and let it rain on us. That he would come down and reveal himself and his presence to us. But from these verses, he has. He has. We don't have to beg and plead for God to let his knowledge rain down on us, to let his presence come down and be with us. Because from these verses, what it's saying is that that has happened through the announcement of his good news to you. That what you have, what you've received from him, is the Spirit sent from heaven to you. If I'm doing my job, if whoever is preaching is doing their job, then the Spirit is descending on God's people through the preaching of His Word, through His good news to His people every week. That that's what happens every time we read Scripture together. That's what happens every time we sing Scripture together. That's what happens every time we pray Scripture together. That's why this Word given for us has to be at the center of everything we do together every week. Because in this Word... Things have been given to us into which angels long to look. So that should actually clue us into something deeper, more profound here than simply knowledge, right? Because I think angels can read. I think angels can see the truths of God's word. I think they know without a doubt that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died and rose again to forgive the sins of mankind. But they don't have the kind of knowledge of those things that we have. They haven't experienced those things that we have. They weren't born in the flesh, having inherited the sin of Adam given to them. They weren't lost in their sorrows. They weren't dead in their sin, hopelessly floundering in life like we are. They haven't experienced the new birth of the gospel like we have. God absolutely is their Lord, but he's not their Savior. He's not their Redeemer. And we might hear that and think that we should be jealous of them, but from this verse, we've got what they want. That they're longing to look into, to experience what we have experienced, to know who God is even better, not only to know that he is a Redeemer, but that he is my Redeemer, he is my Savior. They want to be redeemed like we are. Not just to know the facts of the gospel, but to experience them for themselves. Because what God has for you, what He's done for you, it's better than you think it is. This salvation you have, this salvation you can have through repentance and belief, it was searched by the prophets. It was predicted by the Spirit. Now it's just been announced to you. It's all led to this. All those Old Testament stories and texts, it was all so that we could get to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ given on behalf of his people and for their sins. And now we just get to hear the announcement. So take hold of that announcement today. Don't squander what God's done for you, don't squander all that has led to this moment. Don't cast off what the prophets wrote like it doesn't apply to you, like the Old Testament is something we should try to get rid of. But don't see yourself as the point either. See how it points to Him. Don't neglect God's announcement as if His words of life aren't worth your time, as if His text is something that we should move on from, move on past, that the headlines are more important. Don't settle for anything less than the preaching of his words. Don't settle for sermons which are easy to listen to, which are more entertaining than I'll ever be, but who don't give you this book. Don't read your Bible and think that you've gotten to the bottom of it until you have life in his name, until you believe he is who he has said he is. Because the angels, they're longing to look into what you claim to have. So don't waste it. Press into it. Understand it. See all that he has done for you. And see that through the suffering of Christ, which has led to his glory, that he has done everything that is necessary for you to enter into that same glory through the same suffering. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you for the chance to be able to to read your words, to hear your announcement given to us.